This is your host, Gil Manser, and our studio engineer, Anthony Garcia, welcoming you to February's Word-by-Word Conversations with Writers Show, produced by Northern California Public Media, KRCB-FM, with support from listeners like you who are members of Northern California Public Media. You're due for a special treat today, for our guest is the celebrated local legend, Gayla Barron, <laughs> in a conversation about her new book entitled The Wonder Seekers of Fountain Grove, which she co-wrote with Bart Casey. Those of us fortunate enough to live and work in Sonoma County already know Gayla Barron through her continuing work as a columnist historian with the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. But for those of you who have not had the pleasure of reading Gay's words or hearing her in person, here is a bio extracted directly from Wikipedia. During her college years, she interned at the Press Democrat in Santa Rosa for three summers and planned to teach high school in Reading after graduation. But when a staff position opened at the newspaper in September 1957, she opted to take that instead, initially working as a general assignment reporter and wrote her first column on November 23, 1959. In 61, became the official community columnist and between 70 and 74 stayed home to raise her children then renewed her daily column until her semi-retirement in January 2001. Semi is the byword there, isn't it? Yes. As of 2004, she was writing two Sunday columns a month. By 2001, Gay LeBaron had produced more than 8,000 columns for the Press Democrat, ranging from human interest to cultural events to ethnic history to local politics. At one point, she published six columns a week and was considered the premier columnist of the paper, and a readership survey confirmed that hers was the most popular feature in the paper. She became a local celebrity and was even mentioned as a fictional character in Greg Sarris's 1998 <laughs> novel, Watermelon Nights. And here's the quote. Patrick studying journalism, I said, then thought of Mother's limitation. He wants to be a writer, I translated. I know, he told me. She said, like Gay LeBaron, she tells about the goings-on. So tell us about the goings-on. I'm so pleased to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you, Gil. It's nice to see you. Yes. Again. Again. Once again. <laughs> yeah. We've known each other for decades. A long time. A long time. The forwarder in your new book, The Wonder Seekers of Fountain Grove, summarizes the century-long saga of three men, Prophet Thomas Lake Harris, Pilgrim Lawrence Oliphant, and Samurai Kanaya Nagasawa. Did I say that correctly? You said it perfectly. Because you keep putting quotes in here where people spelled his name wrong over oh, yes. and over again. Oh, I know. Yes. Yeah, uh, amazing. So what should our listeners understand before we begin talking about this amazing but true tale of Sonoma County's premier mystical sexual cult? What should they know? Yeah. Or, what, what do you want to tell them before we start talking about the book? Well, I want to tell them that, that, that it's... It's a complicated matter because mm-hmm. it's not just one story. I think you could break it down and say it's four stories. Or 50 stories. Or 50, right. right. But, I mean, in the, the big view, it's it's the story of Thomas Lake Harris, who founded the Brotherhood of the New Life. Uh, it's a story of Lawrence Oliphant, whose remarkable uh, journey to follow him uh, and leave him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Kanai Nagasawa, who is, I think, fascinating. He's one of the first four or five or six Japanese in the United States. Right. And his whole – his exit from Japan and his whole – his involvement in Japanese history and his fame in Japan uh, I think is, is fascinating. Plus, it's the story of the wine, mm-hmm. which was one of the first California wines to, to – uh, 
travel well to sell in in, in the East and in the British Isles. And uh, it's a story of what's happened at Fountain Grove since. Yes. Right up to last year. To the fire. Or, yeah, to yep. the fire. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, that uh, overhanging it is the story of the utopian movement in the United States, the utopian movement in California, which remarkably, I don't know whether this is in the book or not. I really can't remember what got what what's there and what isn't at this point. But I, mean, I ought to read it, I guess. Sit down and read it. At least the last few chapters. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. No, but it was one of there were seven utopian communities in California in the in the eighteen hundreds, right. and four of them were in Sonoma County. And that's somebody said that Sonoma County is a mother county. And I suppose that you know that goes with with the whole notion of some force of nature that that draws people. It's a comforting place. Well, Lake Harris was looking for something, at least what he has written is that that had redwoods and ocean and you know valleys and streams and places to grow things, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And in that sense, Sonoma County fits the bill. Absolutely, and he was looking to grow grapes. Yes, yes, yeah. So he wanted volcanic soil. All right, let's go back a little bit like to 1970 and your personal experience in life, and you have a manuscript. I do. And about how long was it? Did you have it typed out? I did. I, I, I don't remember. It was 200 and some type pages. Okay. Uh, and this, had, this came to be because my friend Harvey Hansen, who mm-hmm. taught at the junior college, right. uh, taught California history, had, had gotten interested. We, I had worked with Harvey in 1961, too, well, 1962, it goes back that far, uh, to, to edit, to put together, to write from, from his, his collection, of what he'd put together, a book called uh, Wild Oats in Eden, mm-hmm. which was a, the first, first new kind of uh, summary history of Sonoma County in the, in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And in it was a chapter on Fountain Grove, which greatly interested Harvey, who had done the research and which just fascinated me. Right. So I went up to Fountain Grove and talked to Bob and Mickey Walter, who owned it then. And and uh, not Barbara, Mickey. Mickey died, but Barbara was the the wife with the racehorses. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, famous and, racehorses. Yeah, yeah. Famous. Yeah. Cavanier. And uh, uh, Mickey and, and Bob I asked for permission just to look at the buildings because they had they lived in a newer house up on the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. And the old the old manor house, Harris's house and the familistery, the women's house and the winery and the champagne cellars and the blacksmith and the offices and the printing press, they were all still there. Mm-hmm. Plus all the grounds and the the, the exotic trees that, that Nagasawa had planted and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And they said, sure, just look around, help yourself. And so I wandered in and out of these buildings and, and my husband wandered with me and took some pictures. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, 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 it was it was an amazing place, and you know I, maybe it was the presence of Thomas Lake Harris. Who knows? I, but it, I just got really interested in the whole aspect of why somebody would come out here and do that, and then why it would just sit there. Yes, and I wasn't being judgmental about the Walters because people there are people who who have historic spots, but it doesn't resonate with them, and that's not why they bought it. And you know that was certainly the case with them. They were well-meaning people. But uh, it was it was interesting, and it was interesting to wander around. Right. So that's how I got interested, and that's why I wrote the manuscript. Started reading books then, and you know. Well, the interesting thing about that you've got you've put this book together 
in a fascinating way, I think. Thank you. Because you could have just done it as a columnist point of view. You know, this is what Gail LeBaron sees and thinks and feels about this. But what you've done is you've annotated, you've documented with – uh, usually with people who are writing at the time, you know, who were printed right. like in the San Francisco Chronicle or you know, in other magazines or journals. So it was widely known these words were down on paper and were read by many other oh, people. Yes. Yes. And it changed opinions. We'll get into that a little bit later. But <clears throat> one of the things that they describe about is the – I guess the word that comes to mind is the opulence of parts of Fountain Grove with, Absolutely. you know, tapestries on the wall. One woman who's there to write is put in a bed that's, you know, like the size of a king size now and has intricate paintings on the headboard and, you know, hangings and, uh, and carvings. Were, and all, but, So was all that stuff still there when you were walking around? Uh, not, you know, not most of the furnishings were. Right. Now, I do remember that there were that there were four parlors in a row, the you know the Victorian yes, type yes. parlors, and and that the the after all those years, the velvet curtains, kind of drape things, were still there. Of course, they were you know you you didn't want to <coughs> disturb right. them, but they were they were there, and the bookshelves, which were empty then were there to show that he had had a library that he said rivaled the University of California at the time, and it may, may have. have yeah. It was mostly Harris stuff, but that's, you know, mostly things that, that he Which written. was quite a number of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and the staircase and the, 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 the work. I mean, one, two things I, I remember. One was that I went upstairs in the manor house. And it was, or Astavosa, as he called yes. it. Yes. Yeah, he said it meant he had high, names for each high country of divine joy, but he never said in what language. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was a very mysterious Someone guy. Someone spoke in his ear. Yes, yes. right. The, queen, the lily queen. The lily queen. But uh, uh, you could, it, after all those years, because it was built in the 1870s, you could take, you know how windows are weighted so that mm-hmm. they lift? You could do it with one finger. You could lift the windows and built put them so down. Built so beautifully. Yes, yes. so bu- well built. In an earthquake country to boot. And in earthquake country. And in the, the dining room had a spring floor that had been made for dancing. Yeah. And somebody had come in there and spent the night and built a campfire and built, burned a hole in it. Mm-hmm. But they didn't put they didn't burn the building down. And the other thing was that, and, and he talked in, in his, in I don't re- remember whether it's actually made it into the book or not, but he talked about how his building, Astavosa, had had uh, the, the was designed his the buildings were designed by Lewis Cowles, who designed the first city hall. City Hall for San in Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. And that that he was a fault he was a member of the Brotherhood and that they were designed to be taken into the celestial yeah. sphere right. and that they embodied I forget how many different architectural concepts. And the, the, the staircase, the main staircase, had 14, I don't know how many different kinds of woods. I forget now. But, and all these all exotic woods. Yeah, all yes. exotic. And so when, when Bob Walter got ready to tear it down, because he was open about it. He was afraid that when, if, it was, if he developed it and it was taken into the city, that the city having a a landmark ordinance at that point. Somebody would make him keep the buildings, mm-hmm. so he took them down first. And uh, and as I say, I'm not except for the round barn, except for the round barn, which, which is an interesting yeah, choice too. Yeah, and that was Nagasawa's yeah. doing. Yeah, but uh, uh, which is but, on the front of the book, I should mention. Yes, yes it is because it uh, it became if it wasn't iconic before, it became iconic after the fires, yes. as you you know, and. Uh, uh, Anyway, the staircase 
when when I, I Bob Walter said he was going to take the building down, and he said, if you want anything, you know, you can. And I said, you mean I can come? And, and he said, sure. So I got, I think I got Dick Columbini. I got somebody, John and I did, to go up there and take out a section of the staircase. Of the uh, the banister. The, part. the banister yes. and the newel, the newel pole. Right. Post the newel post is in the museum, mm-hmm. but the section of banister we had made into a footboard for our queen size bed, and now there's a king size bed, so we have it in the living room. And I've got this this finished piece of banister that's going to take me directly to the celestial sphere. Right, we've got a, an opening. That, that's the doorway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Tell us about the celestial sphere, because let's go back a little bit. Yeah. Thomas Lake Harris went to learned to be a universalist minister back east and was actually assigned not oh no I'm sorry you're not assigned as a universalist was called to come as a temporary preacher in New York at the Fourth Universalist Church That's true and that's where he met Horace Greeley mm-hmm. who was one of his go west editor, young man go west young man and and uh, Harris went west but uh, not right away no yes. but Greeley uh, Greeley was very supportive of him as a, as a preacher and I think he was a good preacher but then he he went off on a, a tangent and and into Swedenborgism which mm-hmm. is is a, a more I suppose you could say more exotic I don't know if that's the right yeah, word yeah semi lutheran religion right but it there was a celestial element yes, to it yes. and a, 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 a celestial sphere you and I will talk about this sometime because I have a grandfather who came over and founded the Norwegian church of Duluth and he was in Swedenborg. To Swedenborg. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was as a Swedenborgian that Harris went to great, England. Great grandfather. Yeah. Went to England and uh to and then got there and and made some divergences from <laughs> the Swedenborgian <laughs> doctrine that cost him his his affiliation right. if there I mean if it if it was a formal affiliation and that's where the brotherhood of the new life They didn't life, renew his contract That's right yeah. Said, yeah and that's where the brotherhood of the new life was was born and of course this was all within the climate of the utopian movement in the United States and and I know you know and it's it always is the way you open or close a talk on this matter and that the word utopia comes from a, a, a Thomas More novel in the 16th century Yes. And it means literally no place. No place. Nowhere. Nowhere. Yep. Well, the other thing that's interesting about utopian communities, and one of the things that in the early part of the book I kept seeing um, parallels with the founding of Mormonism. Yes. You know, the well, and it was, same time period. Uh, Chevalier. Yes. When she when – she, Came and and who we're going to talk about quite a bit. She's a fascinating. She could be a book herself. She sure could, and I wouldn't be surprised if she hasn't been some some level. But uh, 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 she said, you know, that was one of the things she accused him of that his teachings were worse than Mormonism, Mm -hmm. which you know is a. Well, that was considered a cult. It was a cult, and some still today. Yes, right, sure. Oh well, the um, so anyway, he's back in, in New England, New York. Upstate New York goes mm-hmm. to England. He's married, mm-hmm. has two children, two mm-hmm. boys. Well, his his wife died before he went. Through oh, the first this. wife. The first yes, wife. Yes, that's the, right. The, the mother of his two boys. I got to keep a chart. Yep. Yeah. 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 You must have Can't had tell lots the players of charts on the wall. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, he comes back to New York and founds a community by buying a series of several farms that are. You yeah, know, the, the Brockton the community, Brockton community right. yeah. in upstate New York, mm-hmm. which is a crazy place to build a place. Well, it was wine country. 
well, yes. Finger Lakes region. Finger Lakes. And he was growing wine. Different there. kinds of wine than we yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. The but, sweet, sweet grapes. Yeah. Yeah. What we often but consider he, table But there was grapes. a Brotherhood wine that he made there uh-huh. and sold in New York. And potatoes and and cheese and milk and things like that, yes. too. Yes. And sold things on the train and, you know, had a restaurant. Yeah, had a little yeah. – what is that thing you carry around and sit down on the sidewalk with stuff on it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Push cart, I Push guess. cart. Yeah. So – and he had uh, – similar to those who, you know, used to meet people in the airports who would invite them to, you know, sign up to come and work for us and – and then when you came and worked for them and listened about their community, then you would be asked to sign away all your Woodley goods. So it became wealthier and wealthier over time. And he was a shrewd businessman. I mean, he, he operated on so many different levels, it's it's staggering. Yes. In fact, his his idols were the three towers of, you know, Union Pacific, Southern Pacific. Yes. Yes. He, he invested in Invested the, in invested that. In the trans- yeah. Invested in the transcontinental cable. Mm-hmm. I think Which was, is pretty amazing yes. thing. Yeah, 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 that was the apple of its yeah, time. Yeah, you no, know, he. I mean, he was. He operated, as I say, on on many levels. And he, whenever asked, he would always say, it, "The ideas just came to him." Yeah. yeah. Well, and in Santa Rosa, you know, the people considered him a wealthy gentleman from the east who entertained friends. And and a mason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, and a mem- yeah knights knights, knights templar templar. And, and uh, when he when he did get in difficulty with with Chevalier, they they all signed the minister, the Episcopal minister, and the doctor, and all of those signed a petition defending him. Right. Yeah. Well, that's jumping ahead of our story a little okay, bit. We've got to get out that. to California. So we're in New York, and he's established this community, and then he establishes another smaller community a little further south, buys another sets of farm with. Is it Oliphant's money that he uses yes, for that? Yes, yes. Then. Yeah, I guess, yes. And so let's bring Oliphant into the story. Here is another man who deserves a book. Yeah, and of course, Bart Casey has written a, a whole biography of, of, right. of Oliphant, which is how we got involved together. I don't know if you've typed it in and had spell check changed it to Oliphant for you. That happened to me all the time. Yes. <laughs> the Oliphant is, yeah, that's yes. right. And, uh, the, uh, uh, but he was, he was, he was a... He was a going concern in England, a very, a very, a young man with a great future, great, you know, writing for the the very good magazines of the time, writing books, uh, novels, uh, as well as nonfiction, uh, very involved politically. Went went to uh, besides being a member of Parliament, he had gone to to the to Asia with mm-hmm. Lord Elgin. Right, you know, and this is that that was big stuff. He was a formal representative to. Japan was that's it? correct. Yes, yes, and that's that. Yeah, that was the, the Nagasawa so the connection, connection yeah. right? But but the fact that that he what and it's, there's some question in in my mind at least of whether he went to hear Harris. I mean, they, he was always a seeker, always interested in different things. His whole family was. His mother was as well, mm-hmm. and she was a widow by then. And they were, you know, they were tight. I mean, that was he, he was responsible for her and and her only son, et cetera, her only child. And I don't know whether she went to one of Harris's lectures and brought him in, dragged him along, or whether he went and brought her. But they both ended up coming to Brockton. Yeah, let's remind people this is back in the 1860s, at a time when lectures were what you did. That was one of the things. You didn't have movies. The only other choices was, you know, musical theater or, you know, burlesque kind of stuff, uh, which most people who wore top hats. Music hall. Music hall didn't go to. That was the ordinary people's place. So you'd go to something cultured. 
and you'd have a tendency to hear people who were on the lecture circuit. So they were being paid to, to do these That's presentations. Right. And Harris was one of those. Yes. And uh, whether he hired a hall and just set himself up, which was often done. Mm -hmm. And this is Charles Dickens. I thought he was doing it with some organization. I think it was Swedenborgian originally, yeah. 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 Uh, And, and, uh, you know, this was was Charles Dickens' time. This Mm -hmm. is the beginning of the Industrial Revolution when everything is kind of in chaos politically. And in the United States, it's in chaos because the Civil Civil War War starts. starts, So it's, it's... and I think if you look at the utopian movement, and I have, I say this without being an expert at all, but I think if you backed off and looked at it both in Europe and here and in California, you'd find it was kind of in times when things were not, yeah. Unsettled. Get ready for utopia. Yeah. Let's, let's all go together with like-minded people. Yeah. And then we'll have something better. We'll have a perfect world. Of course, there are always consistent problems in each one of these places. Yeah. And and there was there was you know I mean they weren't all religious and they weren't all certainly weren't all like Harris's kind of but they had a each had a specific I would say philosophy exactly and sometimes you? Yeah. you know I mean noise John Humphrey noise right. at, at uh, Oneida. Oneida his was you know socialism and free love which is a combination you can hardly get by and of course another hundred years and Gottlieb would be preaching pretty much the same thing so donated the ranch to God yes yeah. there you are so. Not, you know, some the more things, et cetera, et cetera. Everything old is new again and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So when's the next wave coming? I don't know. Maybe don't know. has it ever left? Uh, I mean, Maybe. I'm not sure that it yeah. has. Yeah. Uh, now, There's, of course, we don't call them utopias. We call them intentional communities. That's true. And we have we have contracts. And, you know, yes. you, you warn. Well, and con- my, my son moved two years ago or a little over a year ago to Mobile, Alabama. His company transferred him there to Mobile Bay. And... Uh, he lives in a little town that's a suburb of Mobile called Fairhope. And the reason it's called Fairhope is because the founder of it, three generations ago, as a utopian community based on single uh, single tax philosophy, uh, ah. thought it had a fair hope of succeeding. Mm-hmm. And it still is a single tax community within the framework of the larger tax system. All right. Well, Disney had a utopia plan, you know. Did in Florida, yeah, they actually built part of it. Yeah. No kidding. Beautiful designs. That's the other thing is the, is it's like when people get together and they all have let's let's put our minds together. They come with these fantastic architectural combinations of you know uh, things of how are we going to live? Are we going to all have a backyard and mow it? You know, with, each with their own little lawnmower? Each, yeah. or are we going to have a green space together? And that's, there's some good things there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, then there are there are still intentional communities oh, of yes. sorts here, right here in Santa Rosa, Monon's Rail yeah, up on right. on uh, Saint Helena Road and places right. like that. There's one on Yalupa by the old swim center. What was that? Oh, that's yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of I, I don't know if that's an intentional community well, it's just, structure, but cooperative putting, structure. They're putting together the Southeast Greenway, which yes. is that whole, that's where it all began. And yes, yeah. Maybe we'll see that. I saw somebody this morning that tells me it looks pretty good. Oh, good. We'll see. Now everybody's going to have to go and read some columns in the the, – where can can you find them? Just go to uh, PressDemocrat.com? You can go – well, it depends. Before 1995, you can go to Gay LeBaron Collection at – at the library, right. and they're on the, the Sunday columns are online. Right. One, and, and and then after that, you go to American newspapers oh. and and go to Sonoma Media to the Press Democrat, and you can get everything from nineteen ninety. I think it's like the fall of ninety four forward. 
Okay. And those aren't just Sundays. Those are all of them. <clears throat> all right. I'm going to have to get into this. Okay, go. Deep breathing. Well, that sounds the good. Breath. The, the, breath. the breath. The breath. The breath with capitalized T and B. The gift of the breath. The, the, gift, of the, gift, of the breath. gift of the breath. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. Darn, I've read it three times and I have no idea. Yeah, I thought maybe it was some kind of yoga, but I took yoga briefly and I never got anywhere close to it. Uh, my daughter taught yoga and I don't think she learned the gift of the breath. Uh, Different kind than a yoga breath. I guess Cleansing so. breath. Yes, yeah. I think it is. And and it, it obviously was put you in some kind of a state of bliss. And I, I've never seen any indication that there was any external help, that nobody was giving you anything to make it happen, which, of course, today you would immediately suspect. Why don't you read this a little bit? Do you need your glasses on or anything? I do, but I've okay. got them right here. About uh, what he got you. from the celestial sphere regarding the breath. Are we talking about Father Harris? Yes. Okay. Father Harris, who had long ago discovered his ability to function concurrently in at least two worlds of Brockton and Wall Street, was apparently just as busy in the celestial sphere. Every night after discharging his earthly duties for the use, Harris... The use is the, what yeah, he the called use, the community. Use is capital U-S-E, and it's what he called his community. Harris would retire to bed and begin his process of deep breathing to make contact with the spirit world. After achieving a peaceful and meditative state, Harris would then go further and actually visualize his entry into the parallel universe of heaven. Then he would return to walk among the spirits, conversing and interacting with them in a trance-like state that made the celestial just as lucid as the terrestrial in his heightened sensibilities. That's fine. Except that this, <laughs> later on in the book, yeah. mostly after California, he began to invite other people to be there when he was exchanging and would exchange breaths with them in the bed. Yes. And this was no – this was, this was a well-kept secret This was for Al a long time. Alice Oliphant and yes. others, yes. 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 So Alice um, – in fact, let's look at his philosophy about the sexes because that's on page 66, which is – I want you to try to tell me what this means. <laughs> Right here. And this is in his words. Yes, this is, this is his words. I had no difficulty in the solution of the painful and perplexing problem of the sexes. Monogamists who enter into union with me rise by changes of life. Others who have lived singly find themselves riding out of the passional tempest into a bodily state of serenity and repose. As they enter into the peculiar volition which constitutes the new life, Two things decrease the propagation of the species. One young pair in our borders have had three children, so with this exception, the births of 17 years have been but two, and of their, these, the younger is almost a young man. We think these generations must cease till the sons and daughters of God are prepared for the higher generation by evolution into structural bisexual completeness above the plane of sin, of disease, and natural morality." Well, we can parse that for all kinds of different things. We can. Can't we, we can also. The only thing I can add to it is that, from all I have read or been able to discern, there was never a birth at Fountain Grove, or a terminated birth, or a terminated birth. That I don't. I, I, well, that I can't be can't sure. Can't be sure. But yeah. Yeah, but there was sex of some sort. Yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Yes. Well, it gets even more. We'll get into that a little bit later. But but the point is, 
there, there's all kind of, you called him a messianic figure, the Messiah, and I think he saw himself as that's, such. Yeah, well, that's, and one of the, the things that Oliphant did that really, really angered him and went against Thomas Lake Harris's wishes was getting married. And then um, Alice Oliphant appears at Fountain Grove, and she asks her and commands she, her. She's the most tragic character oh, in the whole book. Yes, no yes. question to my mind. She commands her to, quote, go bathe in the earth. Now, taking that as it is, and it goes on to describe in the book where basically she goes and covers herself with dirt. That's, But there's another part later on. Where they're traveling, you know, they're touring the house, and they go and comment about the size of the showers and the baths. And it's told that everyone in the woman's house, and I assume in the men's house as well, showers and bathes together and wash each other's feet and bodies so that they will become accustomed to each other being nude and comfortable with it. Now, is that what's going to happen with Alice, I assume? I assume. And we have to remember that she has been raised a lady, I guess, in the you know, in the sense of right. in the true sense, and not a not a not a dumb lady. No, I mean a very smart, from you know. Yeah, but it would be quite a bit of a uh, shock to her, psychologically as well as physically. I, yeah. Do you think he? I mean, I, I'm asking you. I you know, you should. I'm just putting I, two parts of the well, book together. I, it, did he have some kind of power of of, of sort of semi hypnosis, mesmerism, as yeah, it was so, called? Yeah, yeah. You did you ever ever meet Jim Jones? I never did, but you're not the first to suggest that there's somebody somebody that I know that read the book right after it came out and said to me, "My gosh, this guy was Jim Jones without the Kool Aid." Uh, well, yeah, yeah, he has a different end in sight, and I, it's really you wonder what would have happened if the stories had not been written become public at the end there. I actually had the opportunity. I was introduced to Jim Jones by the uh, AME, American Methodist Episcopal Bishop in Los Angeles, because I was working with them on child care programs. And, right, we're standing in front of the, you know, the, the church on the steps, and this man comes out, and he's got this western cut, you know, very white suit with, you know, with the flat pop pockets and all that, and dark, dark, dark sunglasses. Yeah. And yeah. he shakes your hand, and there's rings all over it. Yeah. And I went later on to the, to my friend who I was with, and I said, "Don't ever buy a car from that man, because yeah. he's he, there's something about him." And you know, well, and he he he, you know, he was in Redwood Valley up in yes. near, near Ukiah. But the difference was he wasn't taking people who had lots of money in; he was taking you know people of ordinary incomes. Yes. Right, but it's astonishing the people who followed him. I um, mean, people that I I know a man or know of a man who was teaching history at the junior college who had won the the Adlai Stevenson Award at Princeton, mm-hmm. who who died at Jonestown. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, and this, yeah, you know, you can understand people that don't have an education and don't. They, and there were quite a number. Yeah, there were a num- great many. Yes, but that's pretty hard to figure. And lawyers and people like that. Right. Well, that's that's the other interesting thing is the cross section of who is coming to this. They are dissatisfied. I mean, to put it politely, most of them are Church of England originally, and or um, Anglican. Anglican. Yeah. yeah. What in this country? Episcopal. Episcopal. And some were um, universalists who had already given up on the Episcopal. Universalists had become Unitarian Universalist Church. But the Universalists believed that we do not have to be washed in the blood of the Lord. Everyone is free of sin because Jesus died on the cross. That's making it really yeah. simple. Yeah. And they've been around for, you know, oh, 
thousands yes, of years. Sure. Yes. So um, they were a mainstream religion in New England. Yes. And people were disenchanted. In other words, it, this went far enough, but it didn't go far, far enough. So maybe here's some of the man who has slightly different. And I kind of like this mysticism aspect of it. You know, the fact that there's somebody giving us directions through him, you know, because yeah, I then I don't have to ask the question. And I thought of that a lot in reading these things about Harris. And that is, if you could believe it, if you were one who could buy into it, it must have been very comforting. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't understand buying into it, but I can understand people seek being so desperate for things to believe in right. that they could be convinced. I don't think we really have to look farther than two years no. ago to find somebody that's, who would, that's, was gathering people who, <laughs> looking something to believe in. That's right. God help us. Yeah. So the move to California mm-hmm. is um, earth-shaking in the movement. For one thing, the weather's nicer, right? Yeah, well, and he was, he was suffering he from was, the cold. He was ill. He'd yes. been very ill for the three years he previous. He had TB. It's hard yes. to know. Well, he had a breath. Yeah, but yeah. so what? we don't know about this breath, do we? We, we, we still don't know. Uh, and, of course, TB uh, sanitariums would – you would sleep out in, you know, cold – you know, with screened yeah, porches yeah. and stuff like that. Fresh air. Now, he had built on uh, Fountain Grove Ranch a place of his own, separate from the communal well, that was, houses. Well, yeah, that, was, that was Lynn Lilla. Yes. And that was that – was, I, I spent a lot of time looking for Lynn Lilla and oh, found you didn't, it. Oh, oh, did you? oh, yes, yes, yes. He yes. says in one thing he sent somebody 10 miles away, but it's it, – Sure it is. Is it? it yeah. If you, okay, if you were to go to Fountain Grove now, and I wouldn't even tell you where to – I mean, in today's – Mishmash up yes. there to look, but if you were to, to go up to where the house was and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, which would be at the end before you get into the medical building on on the Route Barden Drive there, right. and 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 if you were to go look at a map and follow from that ridge line of Fountain Grove, follow the ridge across the back end of Rincon Valley, mm-hmm. oh that far, right across right across uh, Calistoga Road, wow, and then come down. Along the ridge to Los, the end of Los Alamos Road. That is quite a ways. Yes. Yes. But apparently that's the way they went. And I, I talked to a woman not very long ago. I talked to her where who they, they had a ranch up there at the end at the end of Los Alamos Road, and there used to be a gate there where you could go through on a trail that ended up going back across Saint Saint Helena Road and mm. then across the, the ridge tops and would come out all the way over. At Fountain Grove, right. So that was the road to Lynn Lilla that there's a picture of in mm-hmm. here. And uh, Lynn Lilla, when I saw it, John and I went up and saw it. Oh gosh, in the seventies, maybe late sixties, and uh, just the was, same time you were looking around the ranch, right? Yes. Exactly. And it was not. Um, uh, there was no buildings there, but there were koi ponds and things like that 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 Nagasawa had built. The remnants of, of uh, I mean, not ponds, but the remnants of them. Right. The the reporter who comes stays in a small cabin adjacent or you know, built close to this. Al- there, yeah. Yes, yes. Which yeah. she found was just fine for her and her mother, but I mean it sounds like, you know, a summer cabin that you go to a Well it was his retreat. Kind of thing. It was yeah. his retreat where getting away from to, all the Yeah, where he went yeah. to smoke dope or whatever <laughs> you do Drink wine. Drink wine. Drink wine. Yeah. Very nice wine. So shall we go into uh, Nagasawa here? 
I, I, I'm fascinated with Nagasawa. He is a fascinating character. And we have to go back to Japan, and we have to go to a bit of Japanese history, we which sure you do. have put in the book. And anyone who saw the uh, Shogun on TV, That's interestingly right. enough, written about the same time that you were right. writing this, has an idea of how the, the Shogun and the Emperor and the Daimo, the, I guess what you would call Daimo, them, yeah. yeah, the... The he would, he would regional like, he would be like governors the, yeah, yeah, yeah. were, each of them semi-independent for some things, but dependent in to the, the emperor and on the emperor. In the provinces, yes, right. right. And he was the province of, of uh, Satsuma. Right, which is down in southern Japan. Yes, and that's Kagoshima is the, the major city. There. Correct, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, is what? that the Americans and the Brits are trying to come in and have trade, and the Portuguese have set up a... The black ships had the come. The black ships through. had yes. come, the, yes. The, the they were the only the ones Jesuits, legally yeah. allowed, but the the outlier Daimo? Daimo, Daimo. Daimo. Who knows? All right. Provincial governors. Yes, provincial governors. Had set up their own arrangements with some people. Uh, and one of those was an opportunity to send the best and the brightest, really, of males, because obviously only men went to school, yeah. uh, from the, I guess what you would call a Prep school era, you know, the age. Samurai class. The right. samurai class, all samurai, which was right. not – which is interesting. You, you pointed out that was not the, the second down class. It was actually below – I mean, there were yeah. people above them. The, pre, the peasants and the artisans were above the samurai because samurai were just hired hands. Yeah. Which were, is not – They were soldiers. Soldiers, yeah. Yeah. Were, yeah. Defend us. Exactly. Us. The palace guard. The hired gun. Yeah. Yeah, with a sword or two swords. So anyway, these 15 young men, mm-hmm. and was did that include their two teachers who were a little older? Yeah, a little bit older. Yeah. Um, so were – see, the, the machinations of getting them out of they Japan and onto the – they were smuggled. smuggled out. That's a good yes. short word. Yeah, yeah. To England in via circuitous route. By Yokohama and yep, yep. Dis- disguising and, as Japanese – as Chinese, which – that boggles me a little. I'm trying yeah. to figure that out. I guess with clothing, you know. It, well, you know, all Asians look alike kind of thing, probably to every single so. sailor at the time. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. They didn't understand the language. And, of course, Nagasawa was, was only 13 years old. He yes, this is this is far. the most interesting thing. I mean, yeah. he's a kid. He's a kid. Yeah. And his father said, go. This is, you know, he was not, he was, he had several older siblings. Mm-hmm. And his father said, you know, this is this is your, your what you're called to do. You, you do it. And of course, what the what the Daimo was looking for was was a a a, a, a leg up because he knew that Japan was not going to be closed off much longer. I right. mean, he could see what we call the, Me- the Meiji, Meiji, right. Meiji Restoration. Right. He could see it coming, and he wanted his people to be ready for leadership roles. And it worked, you know. I mean, it, they, the ones that went back became the first ambassadors to— I'm going to read that section. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I've, got, I've got that here somewhere. The Satsuma 15, they yes. were called. There's a statue of them in the in the uh, railroad station at Kagoshima. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a picture there of Nagasawa in that statue. Soon after, the first six students, these are Japanese students, helped to move from Armenia to Brockton, including Kanai Nagasawa and Arinori Mori, would reach Brockton that the daimyo of the Satsuman clan had joined others in petitioning the emperor to allow foreign ambassadors into Japan. The major revolution of the Meiji Restoration was underway, heralding the end of isolationism. 
most of the students knew it was time to go home and help build a new Japan. So of these 15, one became the original uh, first foreign minister to the new government. Uh, One left the Brotherhood to study at Rutgers and Wesleyan and returned to Japan in the Ministry of Finance, became the envoy to the United States. One left to study Rutgers before entering the United States Naval Academy and returning to Japan to eventually become an admiral and president of the Japanese Naval Academy. The other was the first ambassador to England. The humble dishwasher at the Brotherhood returned home for a dual career, first as Japan's first resident minister to Washington. And then as Minister of Education in Japan. Now, these are no dumb bunnies. He's the one that was assassinated. Yes, yes. yes. So we've got, uh, I I don't know how they were selected, but they are very bright. Well, they were selected for being bright. Yes. That was the criteria. They were the brightest of of the students. And, of course, they had to do all this in English. That's right. Right. Yes, yeah. Which like, was not to be learned in Japan, yeah, like yeah. Ginger Rogers, upside down and backward, or whatever it is. But yes, but, uh, with know, dancing. Yes, not, I have yeah. to do everything backwards. But, but you know, and, and interestingly, Nagasawa uh, went to was was gone. Being the youngest, they took special care of where he stayed, and he stayed with Thomas the Gl- Thomas Glover family right. in, in Aberdeen, in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And he always there's actually a statue there about yeah, that. Yeah. And he he speak he he. They say he always had a Scottish burr. He always spoke English with a Scottish accent, which made him endearing to everyone who came to buy wine. Yes. That's right. That's right. What happened to the egalitarianism over time that they came west with? And then they, the, you know, silks and satins appeared on certain women, uh, beautifully tailored suits and hats and handmade shoes on certain men. Well, business was good. And as the George Orwell once said, all animals are equal, but some animals, animals are more equal than others. Is that essentially what occurred? Uh, yeah, I think it probably is. I mean, I, I was I was kidding about how, you know, finances was good. But I think as they got wealthier, uh, and, and Harris had to put up a show mm-hmm. for, for, for the people around the community. And, and if he was going to be a wealthy gentleman from the East with, with wealthy friends, they had to, they had to, you know, you know, if you're, what's, what's the old saying? If you, if you, you're going to be. Flaunt it. Yeah, you got to <laughs> flaunt it. And they were flaunting it. And then the people who came, uh, the Partings, for example, Mrs. Parting and her daughter. Yes. She was the widow of an East Indian a tea plant, mm-hmm. tea plantation owner. So they had, I mean, you know, in East India, they had been hot stuff. Yeah, and, and hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars sure, too. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Over and over so, again. And they were cultured, and you know, one wrote poetry, one painted. There's a portrait of of Harris. I think it's in the museum now, uh, but uh, it was in the J.C. Library for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Alice Parting had painted, that Harvey had had procured for the J.C. Harvey Hansen. So, Oliphant had, I, let's see, had a parting of the ways. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah. Well, you know, it was dramatic. I mean, his mother was convinced. Well, first of all, there was Alice. Right. And the fact that Harris took her away from him and had her come to Fountain Grove. And Oliphant never set foot in Fountain Grove. He stood at the gates, as he I remember. He stood at the you. gates. He, yes. he, he knocked on the door and was not allowed in. And... His, Harris told him his mother was dying of cancer and convinced that Harris could save her, and Harris wouldn't see her. Told her, 
told Oliphant to take her to to Cloverdale to Madame right Preston. to Madame Preston. yeah the the and she died. She's what do we call the, her a seer? Of, well, she was she was a healer. Healer, yeah. yeah. She not so much a faith healer as potions and salves yeah. and and but she uh, uh, Mrs. Matt or Lady Oliphant. She performed hospice services. Yes, she yeah. did. I mean, and and then people believed in her so much they came and lived there and made a town, but. Uh, um, Lady Oliphant died in Cloverdale. Right. You know, that's a long way from London's cafe. It's society. a long way from Santa Rosa at the time. That's right. Right. Yeah. She's buried in the cemetery there. So we also have um, – there There was a prediction that Harris made that Oliphant would die – I mean would before Harris did. And he, they, they referred to it as a voodoo death, which in turn happened. So the other funny thing along the way is all along he's been telling people if you join this and be, you know become part of it you will you will live forever for eternity. Yeah, and so will I, he said. And so will I. Yeah, and, and you know four of his disciples sat and waited for him to revive after he died. And right. There were three of them and they waited 4 days and then gave up. But one of the, his disciples and I found this interesting cuz I went back to New York in 1979 just out of pure curiosity, and looked at uh, at Harris at the papers of uh, the poet Edwin Markham, mm-hmm. who was very famous in his yes, time, he was. particularly for writing the poem, The, the Man... Up, we up, had, up we the, had his poetry in our uh, textbooks in yeah, high school. And, yeah. yeah, The Man with the Hoe, which That's is the one. Lo- on looking at the painting. Yeah, yeah. Bowed by the weight of century he stands, yes. Anyway, Markham taught here at the Christian College in Santa Rosa, mm-hmm. and he became a follower of Harris's. Now, I cannot tell you whether he came to Santa Rosa to teach because Harris was here or whether he learned of Harris here. I think it was the other way around because I don't think Harris proselyted here at all. I think. No, he still did in, in England and, and the, yeah, in but, the but East Coast. I don't think he reached out to the people of Santa Rosa to come and he, join his He wanted to remain uh, That's right. uh, secret, mysterious. I guess. Mysterious, yes. 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 That's good so point. Edwin Markham was writing a biography of Harris, or ostensibly was, mm-hmm. when, he, when, Her- when Markham died. He was right. one, of the, one of the three that waited for Harris to, to come back to life. And but they didn't put him inside a cave with a big rock. No, missed the opportunity. Stop short of that. Yeah. But but uh, uh, Markham. So I went to look through the Markham papers, and uh, you know it was they, they were essentially had not been really organized yet. They were at this small college on Staten Island, but he had written the the uh, introduction, which mm. we have in here, mm-hmm. which is kind of says it all. Yeah. Well, we're going to go to another person. Well, maybe we're actually going to go Jane Lee Waring. Yeah. Who she beca- was, yeah, she, yeah was, she, she was a sharp woman. She was sharp, and she came from a family that was sharp. She had a brother who was, you know, who invented. Sharp in the sense of being very bright. Yes. Yes. What, yes, exactly. Right. And she stuck with him from the very, very beginning, from right. the media onward. And, uh, you know, through his second wife who was insane i mean well basically they could have institutionalized her yeah, but yeah, they but sort she of just did locked her up she walked and, around yeah, the, yeah. yeah and uh uh and then when chevalier blew the whistle on harris alzaire chevalier spelled in a different Al- way alzaire alzaire I, I think it's alzaire i think yeah. you may it's a l z a i r e you say it however you want to is it a i i think it's i r e i'm not sure 
I don't know. I'd have to look back at my. I thought I typed it correctly, but yeah. you know these fingers. Yeah. Who knows? But anyway, she she Chevalier was, is spelled different than Maurice because there's yes. an extra l yeah. in it, yeah. and an i e r. And she was a writer for for. Uh, well, most famously, <laughs> when she was here for the Chronicle. Well, she sold that to the Chronicle. Yeah, she but came I'm, here as yes. yeah, yeah. But she, she had been written for magazines, a spiritual, um, spiritual kind of, magazine, yeah, yeah. and and religious magazines, yeah. put out by big, you know, companies, yeah. big companies. And this was a time when there was a lot of a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a lot of market for it. Yes. So she came to to learn the gift of the breath, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And he took her up. He with her mother. She yes. came with her mother. Yes, she did. Took her up to Linlilla, and who was always described as a lady. Yes, yes. yes. And uh, took her up to Linlilla and uh, installed her there and visited her occasionally. And she was there, like from what I understand, most of the summer. Yeah, three months, two, three yeah, months, three yeah. months, and then then went down to the sold her her expose to the Chronicle and came back and lectured at, in Santa Rosa and. The petition went out from all the town leaders saying that they didn't believe her, that Harris was a right. fine gentleman. Well, you need to tell her, tell us, or we need to talk about what she wrote. Because she had been, uh, I guess you would call her a, a an undercover reporter or investigator or journalist or whatever you want to call her And at Harris the time. called her something else. It, well, yeah, that's very interesting what he called her. Because when he first meets her, mm-hmm. let's, let's read what he, what he says when he first meets her. Page 120. It's fast. I mean, it's very interesting. Okay, so you've traveled all this way mm-hmm. to uh, come out and meet this mystical man, yeah. and uh, what he says in their first meeting is, "Child," said he. She's written this down. Yeah. You must be as wise as a serpent yeah. in these days. Let me see. And with a dramatic gesture and before I had any idea what he's about to do, he placed his hand on my solar plexus and gave a most unearthly grunt. Ugh! He shouted, and I was nearly frightened out of my wits by the suddenness of the sound and its awful tone. So that's how they met. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated with, with her because I think she was not as shocked as she you know, I mean, she. Well, laying on of the hands, yeah, is is a very common part sure, of sure. of the process. You must have met other people who did oh, that. Of course, yes, of course. Although he goes on to talk about the vampires of preachers. Yes, yes. yeah, and of course yeah. he referred to her as all kinds of terrible things. Yeah, uh, apparently had a very wide vocabulary of ways to label yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. I what was the well, he was tra- a traveling whore was one of the things he called her, but there were others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But didn't she rebuff him? Oh, yes. So that would make her that. Well, yes, pre- presumably. Yeah. She says she rebuffed him. He said she threw herself at him. I mean, it, it, this is, you know, uh, take your pick. Well, maybe both. Maybe both. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Whatever. You know, this breath thing, we still don't know what's going on here, no, do we? No, I know. Yeah. We still don't know who does what. But it was a beautifully <laughs> huge bed with all kinds of decorations on it yeah. in, in where the first night that she was there. Okay, so anyway, we there's then this very strange thing which I'm going to have you read about the earthly counterparts for sex. And this, oh. my gosh, Aroni, you could spend an entire semester <laughs> taking this apart and trying to figure out what on earth is going on. Is going on here. It's right here. It's this again in Harris's words. Um, okay, this is the first installment of the Chronicle Exposé, where credit is due. She gives credit where it's due. One thing that impressed me very much was the prophet's hard work for his people. 
He used to tell about how he had struggled to keep the devils away from them and said he was much weighted down at times by having to take their evil states upon himself. He said that on the night of my arrival he had not slept at all as he had worked all night to make the vampires loosen their hold on me. It was a fearful struggle, and he made me believe that it almost killed him. Of course, I was very grateful to one who would do so much for me and was anxious to show my gratitude. This in part accounts for my adoption of so many of the odd doctrines of the primate. The primate being Harris. Thomas yeah. like Harris, right? Father in pivot and primate yes, primate. And yeah, and this makes you wonder about her. It does. It it casts everything she writes in, in a, kind a kind of a of different – Shady. Yeah. yeah. And what's she getting out of it? Yeah, what's she getting out of it? And, uh, you know, she – well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, take your pick. You know, it's, it's – it, Yeah, let me go back one because I've got an even more strange thing here. Oh, people have what they call counterparts. Yes, yes. here it is. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Speaking for the members of the Brotherhood's inner circles, she wrote, These people have what they call counterparts. That's an important word. After a man has been separated from his wife and had been taken into the inner circle, he is given a heavenly counterpart, not his wife, which after a time is permitted by the prophet to descend and take material form in whichever woman he may see fit to designate as the affinity of the disciple. So in other words, he can go to these men who have given up their wives, can go when they've reached the right state and the, the, the father tells them that they can, they can go to bed with other women, but only breathe apparently. You think Bill Cosby knew about this? I don't know, but it's just a little bit uh, – you know, yeah. I mean, we could take I, I, things I, out of this I'm and joking, come. Joking, but it, well, you know, it, it reminds me of some science fiction works. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, which became very popular in the in the sixties with Igroku and all the yes. Water yeah. Brother kind of thing, uh, has a bit of this. And I'm wondering if this is where it came from, or <laughs> or do men just come up with these ideas <laughs> all by themselves? By themselves. I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not I'm going not there. Going yeah, there. we we have yeah. these people in Utah that are saying, "Oh, it's okay. We'll have more, you know, you know, multiple wives. Yeah. Not multiple husbands, but multiple wives." Yeah. 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 And men say, <laughs> And men, and yeah, that's enough right there. Men and men saying I can do what I want because I'm important. Whether I'm the primate and king or whether I'm the head of a studio or whatever or a very famous comedian or a very famous as you mentioned comedian. yeah well i think that's did in a nutshell isn't it yeah yeah it's the power over power over and the people who let other people have power over well there is a culpability there is a, yes, there certainly. certainly is yeah if you trans, you know, travel all the way to California there, yeah. and go seek out this man in this little cabin in the woods kind of thing, there's some. Don't go- be surprised. Don't be surprised yeah, if yeah. something happens. Yeah. Although, how old was he at this time? Well, let's see. He was born in twenty. He must have been in his seventies. Seventies, yeah. yeah. Which is, um, yeah. as a man in his seventies knows that thoughts still continue. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, the story comes out, and the end result is that uh, Harris. Leaves Fountain Grove. He does. And just before he goes, or as he's going, he marries Jane Lee Waring. Right. Because then there can't be any criticism about him taking her, taking with, her him. with him. That's right. Or because he'd been with her all, all along. these years. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful woman in pictures you've chosen. Yes. yes. And she she came from a, a, an important family, and, and her brother was the inventor of some kind of 
sewage or drainage system. He was an in, a very famous engineer. engineer. Yeah. Uh, well, so what should people do other than run out and buy your book and read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things they should do is to to just give some thought to mistakes that were made. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. We all were culpable in the city of Santa Rosa and the county of ah. Sonoma and on the ranch itself. And that is that if we have a historic site, pay attention. It's like the, you know, the old adobe that still keeps washing exactly. away every year. Exactly. Take a look at the old adobe. Look around and 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 figure out what what's important and and how the past can speak to us and what what how we need to to sometimes look back at what's happened and and learn from it learn yeah oh, what a concept <laughs> okay yeah and you know it, it, part of it is and and not 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 use it as a bludgeon you know i i i've been reading a book by by uh, nathan pinker which who's which is very good called enlightenment now and he's talking about the age of enlightenment and one of the things he said that really resonated with me because i'm constantly saying you know like was luther burbank on the on the chinese committee yes so was everybody in town you can and what pinker said was that we cannot hold people from another age we can't possibly hold them responsible for things they couldn't possibly have known. And uh, that doesn't mean that you say, well, Thomas Lake Harris was perfectly sane and all right. But it means that that look at them in the tenor of the times. Right. And certainly that was the utopian movement. And it does mean nowhere. Yep. Led nowhere. Most, and, almost all of them did. That's right. Yeah, especially the ones who decide they wouldn't have any children. There's kind of a logical end to that. There certainly is. That's right. There certainly is. You have been listening to February's Word by Word Conversations with Writers Show from Northern California Public Media, KRCB FM, with celebrated columnist, teacher, historian, author, and friend Gay LeBaron, sharing information about the amazing but true tale of Sonoma County's premier mystical sexual cult from her new book, The Wonder Seekers of Fountain Grove. Our studio engineer for today's show has been Anthony Garcia. Our KRCB-FM station manager is Sean Knight. Radio coordinator is Wendy Nicholson. Podcast archivist is Mark Prell. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to join us for our next Word by Word show from 4 to 5 on Sunday afternoon, March 10th, right here on Northern California Public Media, KRCB-FM. One thing to note, March 10th is also the time to spring forward for Daylight Savings, so be sure to reset your clock so you won't miss a minute of word-by-word conversations with writers. Until then, here is a timely quote from one of Gay LeVaron's columns. We need a new word for homeless. In fact, we need a half-dozen new words, because that word, originally an adjective as in homeless man, has become a noun, and heaven help us, it is a collective noun, the homeless. Homeless.